And then let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, for your grace and mercy that you give us, Lord, that gives us an opportunity to come to you, to, <clears throat> to be able to pray and lay our life down at your feet, God. And we just ask that you would um, have your way, that you would teach us what you want to teach us through this portion of Scripture, um, that you would guide, guard, and direct this study. And uh, I thank you that, uh, Lord, you've created us to, to hear from you. And so just pray that uh, you would write upon the fleshly tablets of our heart, Lord, and that none of us would miss out on what you want to speak to us today, uh, myself included. Pray for those who couldn't be here this week, uh, that you would bless them and that you would protect them, Lord, protect my parents as they're out of town, and just, uh, just thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, that you are always in control, and that, uh, Lord, there isn't one thing in our life that is out of place, God, uh, even when we're missing steps with you, God, you know how to direct us back to you. And we just praise you for that and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so here at Metanoi Community Church, all of us, we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, sorry, ladies, I don't know if we're going to do another song with all of you up here, but I might knock a microphone over if I don't move these. Um, And uh, we finished Daniel a couple weeks ago, and now we're in Thessalonians. And the writer of Thessalonians is Paul. Um, we covered 1 Thessalonians last week. Uh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That always messes me up. When I, we went through John, sorry, went through Daniel and then John. I always get mixed up 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians when I start talking about the chapters. So anyway, so we'll pick up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. And just uh, as a refresher, this is Paul's letter to the, the, the church of um, Thessalonica. Um, we read last week how the church was birthed in Acts chapter 17 and 16. If you go back there and read through it, um, it gives a great snapshot of what happened, that the church was birthed out of persecution. Uh, Paul went there and uh, with... Um, uh, Silas, and they shared the gospel in the synagogue, and then there was a huge riot that happened, and then Paul had to get snuck out of the city, and the house that they were keeping uh, Paul and his people in, they took the guy who owned the house and put him in court, and then charged him bail, basically, to get him out of court, and it was just a big whole mess, but that's how it kind of was whenever the gospel was preached, because you had um, the Jews who uh, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and so they wanted all of the people to believe that their way of belief system was correct, that the Messiah hadn't come. In fact, always be praying for God's people, the Jews. They, there uh, is a whole group of them that still don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They are His special people. They're His chosen people. Us as Gentiles, we're dovetailed in by uh, the blood of Jesus into God's family. Remember, the Jews were God's um, uh, first people through the Old Testament. We learn about that. And so Paul, traveling um, on his missionary journey, he's, he's in Thessalonica, and then he's, uh, and, and this church is birthed. And so this is a second, he continues to write this letter to them, where it says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. So the ministry of Paul to the Thessalonian believers 
was in no way, shape, or form useless. Um, no work ever done for Jesus is useless, okay? Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it seems like there isn't the outcome that we want to have, but like we had read in um, Corinthians 15, 58, that, that God's work is, that we do is not in vain. That's what that means there, that it, it coming to you was not in vain. In other words, the ministry that they did to them, not, it wasn't useless. And, and, and remember, Paul's not trying to convince the believers in Thessalonica that his ministry was a, a, of a success. However, his conduct and ministry was under great persecution, okay? Paul... Paul's ministry, the, the gospel, the, the belief in Jesus as the Messiah, all of it was under persecution. And so we see in this letter that this portion of Thessalonians, that Paul is just building up um, the, the truth of, 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 of who he is and who the Thessalonians are again. And it's just a great encouraging um, word that we get to read as a group of believers. Um, and so what Paul is saying, he's saying that, that they knew firsthand how his conduct was and that his visit with them had produced lasting fruit. Um, the Thessalonian believers' lives were evident. Were, the, the Thessalonian believers' lives um, were evidence of Paul's godly conduct. And we know that out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it said that the gospel had gone to them and that they had walked away from their idols and that their ministry was so powerfully being used by God that Paul had no need to even go back into Macedonia and preach the gospel because they were so sold out for the Lord. And so um, he's, again, we'll see throughout 1 Thessalonians 2 that he says, for you yourselves know. He's, he uses that um, more than once during this, this section of Scripture. Uh, verse 2, um, oh, I, I want to read this. The missionary um, who was a martyr, Jim Elliott, I'm sure you guys have heard of him before, he wrote this in his journal. Um, the spiritual work, if nowhere else, is the, the character of the worker decides the quality of his work. Um, Shelley and Byron may be moral freelancers and still write good poetry. Wagner may be um, lecherous and still produce fine music, um, but it cannot be so in any work for God. Paul could refer to his own character and manner of living for proof of what he was saying to the Thessalonians. Nine times over in this first epistle, he says, you know, referring to the Thessalonians, firsthand observation of Paul's private as well as public life. Paul went to Thessalonica and lived a life that more than illustrated what he preached. It went beyond illustration to convincing proof. No wonder so much work in the kingdom is shoddy looking at the moral character of the worker. In other words, Paul's life was exemplatory of what he was preaching. That should be the conviction of all of our lives as believers. Our life should be a representation of Jesus to those around us, and especially those who are in the place of teaching others. Verse 2, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated, Paul's continuing to go on about his group that were ministering with him, um, spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Again, if you go to Acts, and I believe it's 16, um, right before Paul and his group came to Thessalonica, they were in Philippi. They were pretty much stoned to death in Philippi. 
I mean, it was really a horrible situation. And so um, Paul's saying, hey, even after we had suffered before, when we were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, so they knew that that happened, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So Paul continued in this courage that only God can give to a person. Okay, only God can give the type of courage that Paul had. Only God can give courage to us as believers the way we need courage when God asks us to step out and do things for him. It has to come from him. We see here in verse two where it says, we were bold in our studies, right? Is that what it says? We're bold in our education. We're bold in our finances. We're bold in our relationships. No, it says we were bold in our God to speak to you. They were bold in God. It's our relationship with God that gives us the boldness to do ministry, that gives us the boldness to say to a stranger, hey, you know what, how are you doing? Or, or do you know that Jesus loves you? Or have you heard the good news? That's what the word gospel means is good news. I shared a testimony about that a long time ago. I was at a sandwich shop and I felt impressed by the Lord. And, and it was a, a you know, special circumstance, I guess, because I just said, hey, have you heard the good news? Randomly, the guy while he's making a sandwich to me, he said, no, I haven't heard the good news. What is it? And I shared with him about Jesus. And then I got in my car and drove off and the Holy Spirit said, turn around and go back. And I went back and I asked if he wanted to make a decision for the Lord. And he did. God's never done that ever again with me. But see, there's a sensitivity that God can give us for others. And he gives us boldness that goes beyond our insecurities. We're all insecure. We're all feel like we're never going to line up enough to be able to, you know, speak God's perfect word to other people because we're not. We're not perfect. God is, but he uses imperfect people to share the truth of a perfect God. Because out of that, I'm glorified, you're glorified. No, God's glorified, right? Because we look and we go, well, I'm, I, I, this isn't something that I did. God did that. This, the thing at the sandwich shop, I didn't go, hey, you know what? I'm going to get a sandwich and I'm going to say this to this guy. And I got all this plans put out, but God gave boldness to share with this guy. And, and the Holy Spirit is always at work in people's lives because God's word says that he wills no one to perish, but all to come to repentance through him. And it may be like the average is like seven to eight times that somebody hears the gospel. And about the seventh or eighth time is when their heart's soft enough to make a decision. So some water and some plant and some harvest, but God is in control of all of it. And he gives boldness to those that are willing. And so we see here that this boldness came from Paul. He's using the, the contrast to how horrible they were treated in Philippi, that they were, that they, that, that what, what would, it, it, none of us would actually continue a job if we're abused at our job, would we? our job rights, our money, our insurance, whatever it is, if we're not treated right at our job, we'll quit and go to another job. Well, here Paul's saying, look, the conflict that they experienced at Philippi, it was so great and they were treated so spitefully, but it was in the power of God. There, were, there was no other reason for them to go on except that God gave them the power to do it. Verse three, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it... <clears throat> in deceit. So Paul's message was not derived out of a false gospel or doctrine, which had been prominent at that time. False doctrines and gospels were being preached all over the place. The Jewish leaders wanted people to be part of their Jewish sects and not sex, S-E-C-T, and not um, be part of those that were following uh, the, the, the teaching of the apostles. Um, but Paul's saying, look, you know, there was 
I exhorted you and there's no error in cleanness or, or, or nor was there any deceit. So <clears throat> there was no unholy character. There was no, in his message that, that he, he brought to them, it wasn't brought in a deceitful way. During Paul's ministry and in the area of Thessalonica, there were many, many, many different religions um, and traveling speakers trying to make a living off of the people with their false teachings. That was the norm then. <clears throat> One commentator puts it in this way. There, was prob there, there has probably never been such a variety of religious cults and philosophical systems as in Paul's day. Holy men of all creeds and countries, popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, crackpots and cranks, the sincere and the, sp and the spurious, the righteous and the, and the rogue, swindlers and saints jostled and clamored for the attention of the believing and the skeptical. So this was the environment that the gospel was birthed in. This is the environment that God used men to preach the gospel. Does this sound like the environment we live in today? Absolutely, 100%. God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has the exact same power that he can fill a human being to share the gospel and do great things for him regardless of what's going on in the world. I have yet to see a Christian pulled out and stoned to death in America. The American church just, I don't know, man, maybe we're just too conveniently entertained. I don't know. You go to other places in the world and people who have so much less than we do are so on fire for the Lord. And it comes from God's power. And so we should be seeking, Lord, Lord, how can I be used today? Don't discount yourself. God has an amazing plan and gift for you. We make our plans and God directs our steps. Amen. He's so faithful. <clears throat> Verse four, and Paul continues, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. This is so important. God entrusts people to faithfully teach the gospel, which is the good news, like I had mentioned in that little story I shared with you, the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul is such a person. God entrusted him with this, this task. Um, <clears throat> also, we see here in verse four that, that they did not speak to please people, but they spoke to please God. In other words, their agenda was to bring honor and glory and pleasure to the true and living God and not just tickle the ears of the hearers. Sometimes you hear people from pulpits, unfortunately, present messages that are just to make you feel good. God's agenda is not just to make us feel good. He wants to transform us and transform our lives and make us more like Christ. And sometimes that doesn't always feel good, unfortunately, but he's a loving father and he's faithful and he's just, and he's so good to us. <clears throat> so Paul's saying that their message, they've, he, th this confidence, we've been approved by God and, and to, to be entrusted with this good news. And he also says here that, 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 you know, they didn't speak to please people, but they spoke to please God who sees inside and knows the motives and intentions of a person. God understands that. God is able to uh, see inside of a person. He tests our hearts. He knows what we're made of. 
Remember, there's all sorts of people that stand in all sorts of pulpits and stages in front of many, many people, and they have this desire to speak in such a way as to please the hearers and not to please the one that can actually discern their intents. It is so important for those that say they are preaching the gospel to actually be doing it for one for the one reason alone, and that is to please God and to glorify Him and Him alone. I've shared from this place before that if there's any person, place, thing, intentions, or attitudes in this ministry that's not here to glorify God, may it be gone, including me. Like if this ministry doesn't glorify the Lord, then why are we here? Let's just create a cribbage group and eat food. I don't know. Pick a game. I don't know. You know, let's let's just create some other club. I don't know why cribbage came to mind. I don't even know how to play that game. Never played it in my life. And I'm, if you're an avid cribbage player, I'm not talking down about you. I know. <clears throat> Verse 5, Paul continues, For neither at any time did we use flattering words. Listen to this, you guys. It's so important to understand the context of how, is, how Paul is sharing with the Thessalonians, re- encouraging them. And why, why would Paul need to encourage the Thessalonians in this way? Except for the fact that there were people that were trying to tear down Paul's ministry to them. Doesn't that happen in our lives, right? We make a decision for the Lord and we start walking with the Lord. And then all of a sudden the naysayers come in about Jesus, right? Oh, you know, that's not really, that's just written by man. Why are you believing in that stupid book? Or whatever it might be. But in this season, in this era, in this time, these people were coming against Paul's ministry, Paul's Word, the great work that we read about in First Thessalonians, that's a tongue twister, in First Thessalonians chapter 1. And so Paul's just re-encouraging them. This is where this came from. I didn't come to you giving you tasty morsels of words. That wasn't my intentions. God actually sent me. What I shared with you was the truth of God. It changed your life. It did a radical transformation in you. Don't veer off the path. Don't listen to others that are sent by other spirits besides the true and living God. And then also at the second part of verse five, where it says, as you know, there's that, as you know, in other words, you, you saw this, as you know, nor a cloak uh, for covetousness. And then he says, God, God is witness to this even. So in other words, besides you actually seeing this in our life, God is a witness to this. And where it says a cloak of covetousness, in that time, these people that would travel and preach this false doctrine, they did it under the pretense of wanting to gain money from the hearers. And so they had this cloak of goodness. Hey, you know, this great thing that we're going to do, you know, and, and, uh, but, you know, they just wanted money. They just wanted money from them. They didn't care about their spiritual well-being, They only cared about their money. And so Paul's saying, look, I didn't come here using sweet morsel words to you. As you know, you've watched us. Now, they didn't have some cloak of covetousness or, or under a covering of wanting money from you. Paul's service was not a false front to gain wealth. He wasn't hiding anything at all. His ministry and his life was absolutely transparent to all and to God. Paul is saying, look, God himself bears witness of my character. 
That's a pretty profound statement. God is my witness. And in our lives, God witnesses our lives as well. We can't hide from God. We think we can. I think I can when I want to go do something wrong. Am I the only person in here that's like that? Probably not. I'm just the one standing up here publicly saying it. But that's how we are, right? But God sees all things. He knows all things. And Paul's saying, look, even these things that you know, God is a witness of these things. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men. Again, he's giving a, a statement here that we weren't looking for man's approval, either from you or from others. What a profound statement that is. He's saying, look, we didn't want man's approval, and we didn't care if you approved of us or not. That's not why we did this. We didn't get, go out and do this for you to go, hey, out of boy, great Paul, you planted another church, keep going. The church of about a thousand, you got to keep going. No, he didn't do it to, for the glory of men or for, the, for, for, or for the Thessalonians or for anybody else. And it's interesting, the latter part of verse 6, when he said, we might have made, when, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. In other words, we could have elevated ourselves. You didn't see Jesus face to face. I did. How many of us walk around? Oh, my spiritual well-being so great, but you're just down there still squabbling over John 3:16. <laughs> so he they didn't he did this 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 person that Paul was and his group that was with him, they didn't do anything that drew glory from men from the Thessalonians, from others, even when Paul may have been able to demand, hey, look, I saw Christ face to face. Paul did. He saw Jesus face to face. Paul's transformation on the road to Damascus, Jesus himself came and met with him. It's amazing. What a character Paul was. What godly character he had. And we see this heart of this pastor towards this group. This was his, one of his flocks. Paul had such a, 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 a shepherding heart towards those that God allowed him to be a part of their life and where a church is birthed. And <clears throat> it's an amazing thing, too, in the body. Like, no matter where you're at in your life today, um, that Jesus loves you, and there's something special about the church. Um, and God loves it dearly, and He protects it, and He's for it. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people in it. And it's just amazing. And, and again, Paul's just sharing who he is and how other people may have been saying things about him, you know, oh, he was just here to, you know, gain the approval of others and all these different things. Verse 7 and 8, we see where it says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. There's such an important thing too is that God calls people to be a part of our lives. Life is messy, Okay. Life is not perfect. Church sucks because people are in it, okay? People are, we, we aren't perfect. We are, 
we we have cuts and bruises and and all sorts of things and yet in the middle of all that mingling god puts his love in the middle of us and says hey look worship jesus because he is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords and the Holy Spirit fills believers and, and heals those wounds and starts building forgiveness and love and compassion. And then the world looks in and says, you guys are so different. What's going on? And you say, it's because of Jesus. Amen. And so Paul's saying, look, you, this piece here, you know, it, I, I'm not a mother and, and that's a slippery slope. I will never, ever, ever try and say that I ever was one. Um, but I have children, I'm a father, and it's interesting, Paul, you know, uh, in other words, I'm never, I can't say I relate, okay? But I've, my, I've watched my wife take care of my children differently than I would. Um, there's something about um, a mother and her child, there's something close that's there usually. Um, and so Paul's using this everyday uh, picture of a nursing mother and how it cherishes her child, and then Paul puts into that um, the affection that he has for these people. And not, it's not immoral. It's, it's this godly affection that he has for these people. And it says that we were well pleased to impart, in other words, to give to you not only the word of God, but our own life laid down for you. Remember, Paul was almost beaten to death prior to coming to Thessalonica by the power of God that he's doing this, and then yet he's giving his life. They want to give their own lives over because, listen, look at that, because you would become dear to us. Don't ever let church be stale to you. I think the enemy steals the reality that church should be joyous and full of love, and there should be something special in a fellowship of believers, okay? It can't be that just we check off the box so we can go watch the football game. There has to be something different in the body, and it comes from the love of the Lord and the Holy Spirit amongst believers. And so we see here this love that Paul has for the church and Thess for the Thessalonians, the believers in Thessalonians, because you would become dear to us. They had, they had spent time in their life with each other. It just, it just wasn't, hey, you know, here's a sermon. Here, here's a piece of paper. Here, here you go. Enjoy your life. Paul might have fixed somebody's toilet. I'm serious. They lived with each other. Yeah, Paul left. He was only in the synagogue for three days, for three weeks, basically, three different times. But, but he was with the Thessalonians, they believe, for at least three months. Eating and crying over things, I'm sure, and, and joyous over things and seeing the Holy Spirit fill them and, and watching God move in their lives. Don't ever let church become mundane for you because if it has, then you've lost your first love. Our first love should be Jesus. And that's where all of this comes out of. It all comes out of the good news that Jesus Christ died for us and shed his blood for us and conquered sin and death. Jesus is the focus. And out of Jesus comes love and compassion and an attitude of like what Paul says, about himself and the group that was with him towards the Thessalonians. How encouraging this would have been if they had other people coming in, right? Paul's not there, okay? Paul's writing this letter to him. And, and, and you have all these other voices telling you how wrong it is or how against it is. And then the person who led you to the glorious, magnificent uh, relationship and taught you the truth of Jesus that your soul was dying for because our soul, our inner person is built to have a relationship with God. 
There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. All of mankind is driven to have a relationship with Jesus, but it gets filled by everything else because there's another spirit that's out there that Satan himself has created to fill people with other things. And we get so clouded and we get so calloused and we become so desensitized to the Holy Spirit that we just go through our regular day and we don't experience God at all. Because this world doesn't want you to experience the true and living God. And the people that were against the Thessalonians and against the gospel didn't want them to experience the true and living God. We'll see later on because those are the ones in the attitude that actually murdered Jesus on a tree. They were so against him. Can I answer it? I should just put on speakerphone, Gary. No, it's all good, man. It breaks it up. I love it. But what a view of a pastor's heart for his flock. And this is how it should be. Verse 9, he continues, says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel. And so what Paul's saying, look, we had our own business. Paul had a secular job. He, he, he had a tent-making business. He, he, he wanted to make sure that every single thing in his life was used in such a way so that there would be no burden whatsoever for the gospel to go forward, including how he earned an income. Now, does this mean that pastors shouldn't have an income? No, and I'm not going to ask you for any money. God's word talks about not muzzling the ox while it's, you know, doing its work. I believe a, a worker is worthy of his wages, but in Paul's ministry, God used him in this way and he's saying, look, I wasn't even a financial burden to you guys. I, we labored day and night. It's amazing. So he's reminding, merely reminding the believers in Thessalonica that he did not come to them laying financial burdens on them. But the agenda was to share the gospel with them. You know, some people have condemned Gina and I for being too ministry-centric or always talking about Jesus or whatever, but it's like, hey, man, you know what? When God burns you to continue to do something in your life, no matter what else goes on around you, and it has to do with ministry or doing something for the Lord, please run with it. And everything else that tells you that you shouldn't, ignore it. Because when we all pass away, we're going to stand before the true and living God, and He's going to ask us what we've done for Him. I didn't write it. That freaks me out. And I share that with you to encourage you, man, that God has a calling on every believer's life to glorify God in their lives. Some of us, are it's in a different context. I don't ever want anybody to ever feel like, well, you know, that's you and Gina. No, we're all in this together. I believe God's put all of you in these chairs to hear this word and to be encouraged that God has a plan for your life. And if you never came back and that's all that ever stuck in your mind, then praise the Lord because God's going to use that and water that and somebody else can come along. You know, God has a plan for your life. You're like some fat guy with a weird shirt was saying that <laughs> a year ago. <laughs> Isn't that how it is though? I'm, a, I'm as dumb as a doornail. It takes God like so much to like ring my bell for me to hear him. It, it, I mean... It's like over and over for me to be able to listen to him. But back to this study. So Paul, 
He wasn't a burden to them at all financially. Verse 10 through 12, we read, it says, you are witnesses. Again, there's that statement. You see, you saw, you understand. I'm not lying to you. You were, you face-to-face saw this. You are witnesses. And he throws in, and God also. So if you don't think you are, well, God himself is. And for somebody like Paul to say God himself, it's not like, well, God bless you, brother. It's not just a passing word. It's a literal thing. Like God, he's saying God literally is my witness also in this. It's so watered down in our lives nowadays, isn't it? We're more afraid of the government and Facebook than we are God. Paul says, you are, you are, our, you are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as fathers does his own children, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Man, now Paul is saying, look, you see how our conduct is? You see it. And you see what our life is about. And God sees it as well. That it has not only been, that it has been holy and it has been just, and there has been found no fault in how we have acted. Paul was 100% transparent with his life. 100%. If you ever have a question of my life or Gina's life, this is, I'm going to throw myself under the rug, ask us. If you've lived with Gina and I through our lives, you know that we're as real as it gets. Messy, frustrated, but man, we want God to be glorified, and I know you guys do too in your lives. Don't be afraid of relationships with others. And Paul's like saying, look, you saw exactly how we were, that we were devout, we were, we were set apart, we, we, we acted properly. There's no blame against us. We behaved ourselves among you who believe. We exhorted you. It's interesting that he says, I, I think of when I was reading through this and I was thinking about Gina and I, and some of us have good relation with our parents and some of us don't. So sometimes when we read these parts about mothers and fathers, we're just like, eh, whatever. But in the context of the scripture here, um, and by the way, God can bring healing of all those things. Amen. I've watched it in my wife and I's lives. So I don't want to discount that. But Paul, I see here in this contrast where he says the nursing mother, well, I can't relate to that. I'm a guy. But I, I relate to this piece here where he's talking about how a father is and how, you know, if our kid skins his knee, the mom's like, oh, we got to get 10 band-aids and we got to, you know. And the guy's just like, throw some dirt on it and get back on the bike and go. But he's crying. No, it's okay to just go. So I see here in these verses, Paul's like, hey, we help build character in your lives also. We exhorted you. We told you, keep going. And we comforted you the way a father would, and he, we charged you. In other words, we said, hey, Keep going as a father does for his children. So again, we see another picture of this heart that Paul has for the Thessalonians. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and I use just the very first one, two, three, 
four, five, six words. I'm not, I, I don't like breaking scripture up like this, but I'm just going to use this. So I said, Matthew 5, 13a. There's a semicolon, so I guess it's kind of a break, right? <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth. Our lives are to be what salt is for food. It brings flavor. We're going to know what that's like today, right? We have salt shakers. We're going to eat some potatoes. We're going to throw salt on them because well, I want something to flavor it. Somebody made Brussels sprouts. Oh, I'm going to put a lot of salt on those. But salt brings flavor. It also causes thirst. Our lives should be so salty that it should cause those around us to thirst for Jesus Christ in their life. Paul's life was just that. Paul not only treated the believers as nurturing mothers as well as we read in verse 7, but he also treated them as fathers do their children's. The way a father encourages, comforts, and gives direction to his children is different than the way a mother nurtures her children, like I had mentioned. But his life was salty. Verse 12, where it says that you would walk worthy of God. The whole purpose was so that the Thessalonians would walk in a way that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why Paul's message is this way, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we ourselves should walk worthy of the same manner, the one who calls us into his glory. It's fascinating, you know, continuing to expound on the father part where a father would give love and correction, encouragement, strengthening, um, sometimes with tough love and other times with tenderness. The end result is for the believer to walk worthy of God, knowing that they are called and the end destination is with God in his kingdom and glory. That's our end destination. It's not anything else. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say this till the day I die, that some of us will be with God for eternity and some of us will be separated from God for eternity. And may you not be the second of that statement. But we will all spend eternity somewhere. God wants you to spend eternity with him. He loves you so much. So the end result is for the believer to walk worthy of God, knowing that they're called and the end of this nation is with God in his kingdom and glory. God's standard and final outcome is the benchmark. And Jesus Christ is the way there. Jesus is the only way. He said he was the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. In other words, he is the way to live your life. He is literally truth. If you want to know what truth is, Jesus is truth. And he is life, literal life. He is what gives us life. Did you know that his name Yahweh, um, when that's spoken in the negative language, native language in Hebrews, it's actually a breath in and breath out. It's kind of fascinating. I like God. He's cool like that. Oh, you want me to think that, uh, you know, I don't hold your life? Well, just say my name. You just breathed. Thank you. All glory to me. Not me, but God. Can you, I can see him saying that. Oh, you, you, you discounted me all your life. Well, I was the one who held your breath in you. Huh? You literally, you, my, my name is that. It's just like when Moses said, who, who am I going to say sent me to Pharaoh, right? I am sent you. You go to Revelation, Jesus said, I am. Jesus is God. He is truth. He is the way. He is the life. 
and he blesses those that are obedient to him and follow after him. We need to be confessing our shortcomings to the Lord, confessing our sins to him, walking in in humility on a daily basis, knowing that it is his work in our lives, that he is able to give us what we need to walk worthy of God. It is not our works that cause us the ability to walk worthy of God. It's the power of God in us that gives us the ability to walk to where we are walking worthy of God. It's not your works. It's not any of those things. But the final work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he's the one who created this ability for us to please God. His death, burial, and resurrection. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I read this sometimes, you guys, and I think all I see in my life sometimes are my insecurities, my failures, my faults. My, I look at me and just see Brian and all of the mess up, but I see this and God says something completely different. And he's telling you and he's telling me that we're to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And the only way that you or I can ever do that is through our relationship with Jesus, actively walking that out. Daily in the word, daily in prayer, daily confessing our need and shortcomings. To be more dependent upon him today than we were yesterday. To be more dependent upon him right now than we were five minutes ago. Our attitude of our heart needs to always be willing to confess our shortcomings. Because when we are on, I don't know why it's like this. But God just wants us to be real about our shortcomings so that his power can be real to us. I don't understand that, but that's just the way it is. Just like when Paul said it wasn't because of our great words or anything, but it was the power of God. For Paul to be able to say that, he recognizes his absolute 100% necessity to rely upon God for those things. And God's so cool, he'll allow us to go through life until we realize how really necessary how, how really necessary he is in our life. I always think of the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God, right? You guys know the account of that, but I always find it fascinating that God asked these two human beings that just sinned, where are you? Why in the world would God who knows all things, sees all things, understands all things, is everywhere all at once, ask these two human beings that aren't everywhere at once, don't know everything and can't do anything for themselves where they are when he already knows where they are? because he wants a relationship with them. All of this is because the true and living God loves you, loves your life, loves who you are. He has made each and every one of you unique and special. And he has a place and a purpose for your life to be used by him in a mighty way. If God can use me, he can use anybody. God loves you guys so much. And don't ever let the enemy condemn you. See, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't condemn the believer, man. Our sin does, our failures do, we do. But all throughout his word, he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you what? 
more burden. No, rest. We read in John, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when we deny the reality of God being able to forgive us those things, then we actually don't trust in the real work that Jesus did on the cross. In my life, when I'm struggling with things, because I don't trust God enough to let him to have rule in these areas of my life. amazing in verse 13 Paul continues to write to the Thessalonians says for this reason we also thank God I want you guys to think about this for a second it's fascinating though this piece of, of scripture here for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God what happened they received it right we also thank God only once in a while? No, we thank God without ceasing. In other words, we're, we're thanking God for always that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you what? You welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, listen, you guys, and this is true for us today. Remember we talked about the word is alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern our thoughts and our intents. Even between the separation of bone and marrow, I may paraphrase that, but it's in Hebrews 4. So the effective working of God's word, Paul's saying, look, um, who also effectively works in you who believe. So I read this first and I think of how this is the foundation of this letter. Without this action of the Thessalonians, as we read here, there would be no church in Thessalonica at all. At all. There'd be no letter written to them by Paul. It's important to understand that not everyone receives the gospel. Not everyone heard the word spoken, but everyone does not place action to the word of God when it is presented to them. That's why the dudes crucified Jesus. Yes, it was prophesied, but that's... They denied Christ. Everyone's not always going to believe. Paul and Silas and those sharing in this ministry are ecstatic, over-the-top, thankful always for the fact that those in Thessalonica took what was being preached to them about Jesus Christ and did not shrug it off as just another tale told by man, but that it is literally the truth of the word of God being spoken to them. And what does the word of God do? It effectively works in the believer's life. I am so thankful that the word of God works effectively. In other words, um, so if you, <laughs> I just, I looked at the tire in a car and so we're gonna use this analogy. So if you had a tire that was flat and you got an air compressor that worked and you put it on the tire that was flat and it didn't air up the tire, would it be effective? No. What this is saying is that God's word always accomplishes the purpose in our lives that it is set out to do. It effectively works in the believer's life. It's not just a book. 
And we read 14 through 16, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. In other words, those that were in Thessalonica, the believers, the Thessalonian church, they received persecution in the same fashion that, they, that, that Paul and them had received from Judea. And then he says here in verse 15, really laying out the attitude of these persecutors who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Wow, that'd be a horrible place to go preach. Some pastors are like, man, we didn't get a good enough offering. These people are like, wow, they're killing them off like flies. You really want us to keep going? God gives them the power to keep going. So this attitude, these people, they killed off the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. In other words, they are absolutely against God and they are against what God's plan is through man. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up, them, fill up the measure of their sin, their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. We see here at the end of verse 16 that those that stand against the gospel, which is God himself, takes care of them. The Thessalonian believers would take comfort in the fact that God had their back. In our lives today, when people become, when people become um, aggressive or come against the Bible or the gospel when you're sharing it with them, take comfort. You do not have to come against them. You don't have to get an attitude with them. You don't have to try and justify the Bible. God himself knows how to stand up for himself. He knows how to defend the word. He is God. Paul continuing to write, but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. In other words, even though physically we aren't here, but man, our heart sure is with you 100% endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul, listen, Paul was not able to be with the believers in Thessalonica. Maybe they were wondering why and questioned this, like, why isn't Paul coming back? But we see here that it was not for the lack of love or care for them. Satan hindered Paul and his associates to return. Commentator David Guzik writes this, First, Paul understood that this was satanic hindrance. He knew this was not a random circumstance, but a direct attack from Satan. Paul had the discernment to know. Second, Paul had faith for a short time. Means that Paul knew where it says for a short time. It means that Paul knew um, it would only be a short time until the roadblock was overcome. Thirdly, Paul was committed to fight against the roadblock any way he could. If he couldn't be there in person, his letter will go for him to teach and encourage them in his absence. Many scholars believe that 1 Thessalonians was Paul's earliest letter written as an apostle to the church. If this is the case, then Satan's roadblock got Paul started on writing letters to churches. The enemy never wins. Never. He's a loser. When Satan saw the great work God did through these, these letters, he regretted that he ever hindered Paul at all. Finally, God brought the victory. If you go to Acts 20, verse 1 through 5, we're not going to turn there. You can read that. And it describes Paul's eventual return to Thessalonica 
and to other churches in the area. Spurgeon wrote this, supposing that we have ascertained that hindrances in our way really come from Satan, what then? I have but one piece of advice that is, go on, hindrance or no hindrance, in the path of duty as God, the Holy Ghost, enables you. In other words, continue in the work that God has laid out before you until God says stop and don't let anything get in the way. I'm not talking about having a bad attitude towards people or anything, but there is real roadblocks that happen in ministry. Right now, um, there is a group that is trying to get a good news club into an elementary school here. Um, I love all people. I've, I, I've spent time with people that are at the school board, I mean, school board, the school district, and we, we give backpacks to the schools, and I've served lunches during the summer during COVID and, and built relationships with them. But man, the minute that we said that we wanted to start a good news club through Child Evangelism Fellowship, stonewalled. Excuses. We don't allow people off campus in. Well, that's not true. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts are allowed immediately on the, on the campuses. We don't have a room for you, but yet I have a good relationship with the principals who actually told me they wanted to have this on their campus. So for me personally, I'm like, oh, why is this? But it's a spiritual roadblock. There is a literal enemy against the gospel and the front is in kids' lives. You don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you came to know the Lord before you were 18? A lot of us in this room probably did. The majority of people that actually make a decision for Jesus prior to being a teenager is great. It's huge. After a teenager starts dropping off, an adult, the, the percentages get even lower. CEF is a, a, an organization that paid for our life scanning, did our training, everything, has a legal group, it's, it, it has the liaisons to communicate with the school. It's a no-brainer. If you have free time, man, get in, in touch with Elisha. God allowed uh, the, the two of the gentlemen that serve in our children's ministry and youth ministry to actually be employed. Elisha's heading up the Yuba Sutter ministry. Did you know that there's never been a Good News Club in Yuba County? Ever. Never. You don't think the enemy's mad that this little church called Metanoia Community Church, Oliver's, had five other churches here getting trained for one purpose, to preach the gospel to kids that don't know them? So be praying. I tell people, man, I look at the schools here and I look at the schools as territories and I say, God, will you give these as territories over to us, the church as a whole? I don't care what churches go in there. The gospel needs to be shared. We've been trying to get onto the high school campus. Did you know that we know kids that actually are on the high school campus and are Christians, but they're so afraid to find another Christian that we can't get a club on the school? Do you think that's, what is that? Is that physical warfare or spiritual? It's spiritual. Do you want to see a difference change in your communities that we live in? Start praying for the gospel to be transforming lives. It's through the transformation of a human life through the gospel that makes a difference in a community. Not money and not judicial systems. That's why Jesus didn't take his throne when he first came onto the scene. Because he knew that it was a matter of the human's heart that needed to be changed. 
So no matter what happens in our lives, we are to continue on in the power of the Holy Spirit. In closing, verse 19 and 20, I was telling Angelina, man, when we have food out and if my sermon goes long, people will be like, I'm not even thinking of Jack in the Box. I'm thinking of that right there. (laughs) Paul closes with this, for what is our hope? This is really fascinating to me, you guys. Um, As someone who loves people and who loves the ministry, I looked at this and I was like, wow, Paul's ascribing to the Thessalonians that they are his joy and that they are his reward in heaven. And I think about, think about it, you guys. The lives that God allows you to minister to and touch, those are your, that's your reward in heaven. The Lord looks at that and he accounts that to your life. Why, I don't know, and I'm not, I don't have all the details on that. I just see this. And for Paul to say that for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus? So he's saying, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? Like this great, 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 crazy, amazing thing that we get to experience that brings so much joy and, and is a crown of rejoicing and singing in our lives when we are literally in the presence of God, it is you. It's just amazing. In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. And then verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. Paul ascribes to the Thessalonians that they are literally his joy. They're literally the glory that, that for him, not, not anything else. So how amazing these last verses are. What is their hope or expectation? That's what the hope means. It is joy and a crown of rejoicing that one day the Thessalonian believers will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and that Paul will be there. And that God is allowing Paul to write out that the believers in Thessalonica will be counted as his joy, as his his ministry team's joy and glory is attributed to him. It's just an amazing thing that God does. He, He takes our lives and he wraps them up in his love and his power. And he says, hey, go mingle with these people. And when you see me one day in heaven, it's just gonna be radically amazing. And God accounts in your life, those that you pray for, those that you minister to, he ascribes it to you. It's not my job as a pastor to do that, but I read this and I'm like, wow, Lord, how, how, how is this? That you allow the joy and glory of somebody to actually have to do with other people you're ministering to. How amazing that is. It's just an amazing thing what God allows us to be a part of and how he loves us. And we'll continue with Thessalonians next week. And uh, let's go ahead and pray. I'll pray for the food now so we don't have to, you know, be long and drawn out prayers just for food because I'm sure you guys are all hungry. God, thank you so much uh, for your mercy and your grace and your love and your word and for the testimony of Paul. And Lord, for the testimony of the Thessalonians, God, that, that they were on fire for you because of you, because of your power, because of your word. So, Lord, I just thank you so much for that, Lord. 
And God, as a worship team comes forward, Lord, I pray that we would take this moment to just meditate on what you've taught us. Lord, thank you for the food that we're going to have today. Um, pray that you bless those who have prepared it. May it nourish our bodies, Lord. But I pray, God, that you would nourish our soul even greater. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
You will know 